Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. It is. It's just quiet. Um, the reading today is from Matthew nine thirty-five through ten four. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Summoning his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother. James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, son the zealot, excuse me, Simon the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. For leading us in the scripture reading. And thank you, Nate, for the baby dedication. Um, it's already a very sweet morning. So we want to just continue this posture of prayer and worship. Uh, we are here today because uh, the Lord is alive and he has been raised from the dead, and because he has been raised from the dead, we have hope and new life today and for eternity. So we are in a, a, a series in Matthew, but um, us as a church, our goal, our vision is to become disciples, make disciples who make disciples, and specifically, we as a church have made it our, our vision, our end, to become disciples of what we call presence, formation, and mission, Presence, formation, and mission. In other words, we want to be disciples who seek the presence of God in everything we do. In everything we do. I love that song that we just sang and Tori's talk, uh, Tori talking about it. Of like, we are here to see God. We are here to seek his presence. If God has called us his own, and if, if, if part of becoming a disciple, Jesus says in the gospel according to John, this is eternal life, that you would know the Father and his Son whom he had sent. Our goal is to seek the presence of God in everything. Our goal is also to be formed, disciples of formation, to be formed into the image of Jesus in our thoughts, in our actions, in our habits, in our practices, in our community. We don't want to just look to God and then just like not have him affect our everyday lives. We want to be formed into his image. We want to become disciples of presence. We want to become disciples of formation. And we also want to become disciples of mission who live on mission for the renewal of the city. Not mission out of obligation, because that's not mission at all, that's fear. But mission out of empowerment. You realize that the spirit of the living God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you when you say you are in Christ? You are now the hope of the new creation. When people bump into you, do they experience the kingdom of heaven? Do they experience the radical love of God? Do you view your work, your relationships, your neighbors, your coworkers as opportunities to show them Jesus, to give them life and life to the full? Because nothing else in this world satisfies, we know that. So our aim as disciples of Jesus is to become disciples who seek the presence of God, are formed in the image of Jesus, and live on mission for the renewal of the city. Ironically today, actually it's not ironic at all, uh, we're going to actually, the text today kind of follows a similar pattern of seeking the presence of God, being formed into his image, and live on mission for the renewal of the city. So before we dive in, if you haven't already, I, w I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures 
turn to the end of Matthew chapter 9, beginning of Matthew chapter 10. Um, and uh, as you're turning there or turning on your Bible, it's funny, I can see the glow of the, you know, the screens on people's faces. And it's kind of like, I'm like, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just like the glow of the living and active word of God. But then I realize it's just like a screen, but that's okay. Anyway, as we, uh, I want to continue this prayer of posture and worship. So if you would, let's pray uh, together to our Father. Our Father, we come before you right now and some of us are distracted. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are burdened. Some of us are in pain. Some of us are just tired. And Lord, as we approach you with all our life, remind us that you don't look at us disappointed, frustrated, angry, you look at us in love. Father, you promise that when we cast all our anxieties on you, you care for us. Father, you promise to give us a peace that surpasses understanding. You promise to give us life and life to the full. You promise to give us your presence and your spirit. So right now, Lord, we ask that you do that. We ask that you would be true to your word and you would fill us with yourself. We don't ask this because we earned it or we deserve it. We ask this, Lord, because you, Jesus, are the great high priest and we can now approach you, Father, with confidence. So Lord, even though sometimes we're insecure, we're anxious, we have all these things going on in our lives. We right now approach to you with confidence, claiming the promises that you have for us in scripture. Holy Spirit, do not leave a single heart in this room untouched by you. We want you, Jesus. We ask that everything else in this life and this world be tasteless until we can taste and see your joy, your beauty, your salvation. God, we pray with the psalmist, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Remind us again of your love because we forget. Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we pray all these things in your son's name and by the power of the spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm gonna start with a story today that I heard from a sermon. So if it sounds you know, familiar, then I totally stole this from another person. But anyway, it's the story of this couple, Ray, and their names are Ray and Melanie, and they live in Nashville, the Nashville area. And um, they uh, were kind of, they, they, they're, they're middle-aged, so their kids had, you know, left the house, and they had a few residential buildings. They owned a few residential buildings in the Nashville area. And so they were kind of preparing for retirement because, to retire early, because their, their business was going really, really well. So they planned for an early retirement, wanted to take it easy. They actually purchased a beach house in Florida, and they spent half their year in Florida, half their year in Nashville. And um, one of their tenants, though, um, was the single mom. And this single mom was renting from Ray and Melanie, and she had four kids between the ages of six and 16. 
And Ray and Melanie started to um, like get to know this single mom and her four kids, and they were in close proximity with them. And they started to get to know her, and they started to get to know these four kids. And they started to you know, develop a liking for this, this family, for this mom and her four kids. And this mom, every couple months, she would be late on rent. She wouldn't be able to pay rent because she's a single mom with four kids, and she's trying to work th- two or three different jobs. And so because Ray and Melanie like, liked her and they knew her, they kind of, you know, even if they, they, they legally could have, you know, turned her in and evicted her, but they decided not to. So they kind of turned away and, like, gave them some grace in that, in that area. Um, and so then, eventually, one day, child services intervened, and unknown to Ray and Melanie, there were some things that were going on with the mom, and they took the mom away and put her in custody, and so they put these four kids into the foster care system. And very quickly, all four kids were separated from each other, and they were put into four different houses. Four different houses, completely. Ray and Melanie were distraught. They were thinking about this, and Ray was talking to his friend, and he said, what do I do? Like, how can I help? Can I help? What, what do I do? And his friend asked him, well, why don't you pray about it? Now, this question I found, why don't you pray? This question can elicit two different responses. The first is the eye roll, which typically comes from people who grew up in church, and we roll our eyes because it's like, oh yeah, pray, I guess I have to do that because that's like the spiritual thing to do. The second response that that question can elicit is fear. Because if you have any experience with prayer, you know that Jesus has a way of inviting us to become the answer to our own prayers. So Ray, who's kind of a cultural Christian, and by cultural Christian, I mean he kind of believes in Jesus generally, but his relationship with Jesus doesn't affect his day-to-day life. His relationship with Jesus was changed when he asked his friend, what should I do about these four kids that are in these four different houses? I feel like I should do something. And his friend said, why don't you pray? So Ray and Melanie started to pray about it. And remember, this is like their kids are out of the house. They're planning to kick their feet up for the rest of their lives in early retirement. They start to pray about this. And then this idea, this radical idea comes in. Well, what if we enter into the foster care system as foster parents and we, we get these four kids? So they did. And then they have these four foster, care parent, foster children. They're back in the same home, but then they're like, well, they kept praying. Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, what do you want us to do? And eventually they had this other radical idea. Well, what if we just adopt them as our own children? And so after this family, this couple had already parented, their family, their kids were out, they had everything that they wanted according to American society and culture, they, d- they became parents again because they prayed about it. And what, th- what, what happened was that as they prayed to the Lord, Jesus invited them to become the answer to their own prayers. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It was life to the full. It was a life that only those who follow Jesus get to live. And it was beautiful, but it was also really hard because, I mean, they could have just, they could have just ignored it. They could have just not, they could have turned, you know, their eye and been like, oh, well, you know, they'll figure it out. And it's hard because they're tired again. And they already parented once and they're parenting again. And parenting now versus 20, 30 years ago is way different. But radical love has a way of filling us up to the full and satisfying us so deeply in ways that our ideas of a good life never could. Ray and Melanie actually discovered the fullest and freest kind of life by giving theirs away. And it's because prayer is an invitation to become our own prayers. It's really hard, and here's a, think about this, it's really hard to pray for something and not step into the, being the answer to your own prayers, right? It's really hard to pray for a broken relationship with you and somebody else 
and not be the person who has to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. It's really hard to pray for your children to grow up in the Lord and not show them what it means to follow Jesus. It's really hard to pray for justice to roll down the mountains, as it says in all the prophets in the New Testament, and not get involved in ending and standing up against injustice in our city, the Des Moines metro, our state, and our, and our world. It's really hard to pray for passion and worship and to hear the voice of God if we don't set aside time for God, if we worship with our arms crossed and our hands in our pockets. It's really hard to pray in Ankeny as it is in heaven and sit by passively waiting to die because remember, we've been saying this for over a year now that the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is less about getting you into heaven when you die and it is much more about getting heaven into you right here and right now. That's the gospel of the kingdom. To enter the kingdom of heaven doesn't mean to go to a place called heaven but to come under God's rule, God's reign and to become people who recognize his kingship and live by his standards. Now, we're in the gospel according to Matthew. And by the way, we've been saying that since a year and a half ago, since we first launched. launched. And up until this point, Jesus has been the one doing all this stuff. He's been the one teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's been the one preaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's been the one healing, showing people what the kingdom of heaven looks like. But here today, in today's text, we're actually going to see a big shift. We're going to see a huge shift. And basically what happens, is, chapter 10 is this discourse that Jesus gives to his disciples. Excuse me. And basically what happens is that Jesus gives the disciples the same authority that he himself has. So everything that Jesus has been doing up until this point, Jesus has been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing. At this moment in the gospel according to Matthew, he shifts and he says, hey, what I've been doing, you guys go do. And we're going to see that he calls his disciples to pray, and then we're going to see that his disciples actually become the answer to their own prayers. Jesus now looks out to his disciples, and he says, everything that I've been doing, let's do this together. Let's teach what the kingdom of heaven is like together. Let's preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven together. Let's heal every disease and sickness and show them what the kingdom of heaven is like together. Now with that, there's a specific pattern that we see Jesus follow today. In, in this text. There's a specific pattern we see him follow. Um, and in order, this is a little caveat, in order to follow Jesus, like follow Jesus, not just say you follow Jesus, not just think about Jesus like as a textual intellectual exercise. In order to actually follow Jesus, we must first look at him. What does he do? How does he live? What are his habits? What are his patterns? We take notes. We observe. We sit in his presence then we're formed by him. Okay, we see that we're doing that. Now that's changing my thoughts. That's changing my heart. That's changing my body. That's changing my relationships. We as a community are formed. And then we actually go and do the stuff that Jesus did. In other words, we seek the presence of God. We're formed into the image of Jesus. And then we actually do what Jesus did. We live on mission for the renewal of all things. So Jesus has a pattern here, and it follows four steps. And this, the first step of this pattern is proximity proximity. Look again at verse 35 with me of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Jesus is going around everywhere. 
He's walking around. He doesn't just stay in Nazareth. He doesn't just stay in Jerusalem. He doesn't just stay in the synagogue. He's going out. He's walking around. It says it right there. He continued going around to how many of the towns and villages? All of the towns and villages. Jesus goes where there's a need. That is very key. Jesus goes where there's a need. He puts himself in close proximity with the hurting, the homeless, the outcasts, the sick, the lepers, the unwanted. Let's think about the last few weeks of, 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 of uh, our sermon series in, in Matthew chapter eight and nine. He comes down from the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, first person he sees, a leper, right? He goes towards him. He reaches out and touches him. He goes where there's a need. Then there's a centurion who uh, socially and relationally, you don't, Jews and Gentiles don't mix, and he heals him, or he heals his, his servant. Next is Peter's mother-in-law with a fever, which as we remember, if you remember, a fever meant that you were either demon-possessed or being judged by God, yet Jesus goes into that moment, touches Peter's mother-in-law, and she's healed. There's two demon-possessed men that come to Jesus. He heals them. There's a paralytic. Um, his, his friends bring him on a stretcher, and Jesus isn't offended. He goes to him, and he heals him. There's the dead girl, which in, in ceremonially, like if you touch a dead person in Jewish society, you're unclean, you're ceremonially unclean. And he goes and he touches her. He goes to the pain. There's the woman who suffered from bleeding. There's the blind man. There's the man with the mute spirit. All of these things, all these miracles that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, they have at least one thing in common, and it's that Jesus was close to them. Jesus doesn't look at your needs, your sickness, your disease from afar. He doesn't wait for you to get better to come to him. Jesus is in close proximity with those who are in need. He's going around. How, how, how else can he heal every disease and sickness if he doesn't see it? You think he's just sitting in Nazareth or sitting in the temple being like, okay, you know, there you go. I healed everybody. No, he's going around. He's walking. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's healing. Jesus' first step in this pattern that we're going to see is he is close to those who are needy and broken. Jesus doesn't run from your pain. He doesn't sit up in heaven and wait for you to clean yourself up. He doesn't sit in his ivory tower waiting for us to get it before we can be with him. He enters into our pain, he bears our pain, and he heals us. The first step that we have to understand is that Jesus is in close proximity with those in need. Second, Jesus sees or seeing. Look at verse uh, 36, which is right after verse 35. <laughs> which is right before verse 37, just so that your eyes can find it in case you were wondering where it was. <clears throat> when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds, okay, that's all we're gonna talk about for now. When he saw the crowds, it's hard to be in close proximity with something or someone and not see it. Unless you're like me and you open the fridge and you're looking for something and I'm like, where on earth is this thing? And Leanne goes, it's literally right there. And I'm like, oh, I was in close proximity, but I didn't see it. But for the most part, it's really hard to be close to something or someone and not see it. Jesus is in close proximity to those who are in need, and he sees them. And this is key. He sees them for who they are, not for who they're trying to be. Jesus sees the, these people for who they are, broken, in pain, sick, outcasts, not for who they're trying to be. He sees their brokenness, their pain, their sickness, their disease, their sin-ridden bodies, their emptiness, and he sees them. Guys, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees you in your insecurities. 
He sees you in your broken relationships. He sees you in your sinful decisions. He sees you in your triggers and your selfishness. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your loneliness. He sees you in your attempt to try to figure everything out on your own. He sees you. Now I hope that's comforting, but that also is a little terrifying. Because when you stand vulnerable in front of somebody and they see you, you risk a lot. They might walk away. When somebody actually sees you for who you are and, you, and all the fig leaves that we try to sew together and, 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 and cover ourselves with, when those are actually done away with and somebody actually sees you, it is terrifying. Are they going to leave? Are they going to judge me? Are they going to be angry? Are they going to be disgusted with what they see? Tim Keller says this, to be seen and not loved is our greatest fear. Isn't that true? When you're vulnerable in front of somebody, when you actually bring the walls down and you empty yourself and you say, this is who I am, and then somebody sees that and then they walk away and they don't love you, that's our greatest fear. Now, Jesus sees you, but how does he see you? How does he see you? Back to verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he felt, step three, compassion. When Jesus looks at the crowds, who, by the way, the crowds are the ones who respond in faith. So if you have responded in faith, this is you. But if you have not, this is not you. When Jesus sees the crowds, he feels compassion for them. Because why? Verse 36. Because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Now, before we brush over this, this is profound because it is actually incredibly hard to believe that Jesus looks at us, sees us for who we truly are, and looks at us with compassion. There's this, um, there's this practice called anti-scripture, which I do this a lot in my sermons, but we'll just talk about it. This anti-scripture, where you actually say the opposite of what scripture says to kind of expose the lie and like name it, like, oh, that's a lie. And I wanna try that here because I think it will resonate with us. Look at verse 36. This is gonna be not the scripture. When he saw the crowds, he felt annoyed with them because they kept on making the same mistakes over and over again. When he saw the crowds, he felt frustrated because people were just coming to him to get what they wanted. When he saw the crowds, he felt indifferent because people didn't realize what they had in him. When he saw the crowds, he felt disappointed because they couldn't heal themselves. When he saw the crowds, he felt angry because they got themselves in their own situation and that if they just worked a little harder, they'd be able to get themselves out of that situation. Did any of those resonate with you? If so, it probably means that you believe it. And Jesus, let me say this as clearly as I possibly can, Jesus sees you and he has compassion. Not pity, not anger, not disappointment, not frustration, compassion. The Greek in compassion is literally your heart goes out towards something or someone. The Hebrew equivalent is the word that's used for a mother when she's nursing her child. You can't not feel for them. 
Jesus doesn't look at us and say, well, okay, well, that's whatever. Like, you're kind of annoying, and you're only trying to get what you want, and you just want to use me as a hell insurance or this, that, and the other. Jesus doesn't look at you frustrated that you, this sin, that this habitual sin in your life you can't get over. Jesus looks at you with compassion in his heart and in his eyes. Why? Because we are distressed and, de- and dejected. Look at that. They were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Other translations might say harassed and helpless. The idea is that it is not primarily all our own doing. It is that we, are, we, we cannot help ourselves. Every time we try to help ourselves, how does that go for us? Every time we try to mend that own relationship on our own, how does that go for us? Every time we try to get over the sin in my life, how does that go for us? It doesn't. And Jesus looks at us with compassion. Here's the rest of this Tim Keller quote. I took it out of context, so... Now I'm putting it back into context. To be loved and known, or seen, sorry, seen, he uses known, but seen and known is the same thing. To be loved but not seen is comforting, but it's superficial, right? Like, oh, I love you, but I don't actually really know you. That's not really, like, true love. To be seen and not loved is actually our greatest fear. But to be fully seen and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Let me ask you this. Have you experienced Jesus looking at you with compassion? Have you experienced Jesus looking at you with compassion? And what does he see? He doesn't see their sin and blame them. He sees that they're oppressed. When Jesus, here's a quote I found, when Jesus looks over the world, it is first of all people's helplessness that he sees. It is their depression, their oppression, and their suppression that affects him the most. Have you experienced Jesus looking at you with compassion? With love? Because he sees you. And he looks at you not with disgust or annoyance or frustration or indifference or angrily, but with compassion. First, Jesus is close proximity. Jesus is in close proximity with those who are helpless, those who are in need, those who are sick. Then he sees them for who they truly are. And that seeing leads him to compassion. And what does that compassion lead him to? Prayer. Let's look at the rest of the text. Verse 37. So this is after he sees, his, sees everybody, the crowds, and they're distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. He says this, then he said to his disciples, this is the 12 that are following him, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. In other words, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of people who are lost. There's a lot of people who think they know the good way, but they don't. And there's not a lot of people showing them the good way. Verse 38, therefore, go and work really hard and start a bunch of programs. No. Therefore, verse 38, do more for Jesus because that way he'll like you more. Verse 38, therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out, to send out. We're gonna come back to that in a second, send out. Send out workers into his harvest. Prayer is the only way to heal, to save, to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Do you remember Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer? Remember the center line of the Lord's prayer, which is the center of the entire Sermon on the Mount? It's what? On earth as it is 
in heaven? Is there pain in heaven? Is there brokenness in heaven? Is there anxiety in heaven? Is there sickness and disease and injustice in heaven? No. So what does Jesus pray? Lord, as above, so below. On earth as it is in heaven. So what does Jesus do? Step one, he's in close proximity with those who are needy. All of us. Step two, he sees them for who they are, not for who they're trying to be. Step three, he has and he feels compassion for them. It's almost like he can't even help it. And step four, he prays. Now, earlier I said that up until this point, Jesus has been the one doing all the stuff. Jesus has been the one teaching in, uh, in the synagogues. Jesus has been the one preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Jesus has been the one healing every disease and sickness. But here's where it shifts, and here's where it gets exciting, which, by the way, this is a precursor. Chapter 10 is a precursor to what he expects all disciples to do at the end of Matthew, but right now it's just for the 12. Verse 1 of chapter 10. I know there's, a, there's like a weird cutoff. Sorry that we're like in between chapters. There's a word cut off. Anyway, chapter 10, verse 1. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over these unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. Okay, two points. First, he gave them authority. Who in the gospel according to Matthew is the only one who's had authority up until this point? Jesus. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were amazed because he taught as one who had authority, not like one of their scribes. Who is this person that has authority to forgive sins? but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He has authority so much so that the winds and waves obey him. He, uh, when, the, when the crowd see this, they were awestruck and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. In other words, Jesus has authority and what does he do right here? He gives it to his disciples. He gives it to his disciples so that they can do what? Drive out demons and heal every disease and sickness. The end of verse one. I don't know if you caught this, but that is word for word what Jesus did in chapter nine, verse 35. Chapter nine, verse 35, right above, he went around healing every disease and sickness. And now he is telling his disciples to do what? I'm giving you authority to heal every disease and sickness. In other words, what Jesus himself is doing, he now wants his disciples to do. Think about the 12 disciples. Let's think about their pattern. They're in the presence of Jesus, right? They're following him. They're literally, like, like literally following him. They're walking behind him. They're seeing how he talks to people. They're seeing how he acts. They're in the presence of Jesus. Then they're being formed because of that, right? They're being formed in their thinking. They're being formed in their relationships. They're being formed in, in, their, in their bodies, how they live, how they eat, how they talk, all these things. And now Jesus is saying what? Go do, live on mission, for all of this renewal, uh, what I have been doing, I want you to do. And then, check this out. They actually become the answer to their own prayers. Look at verse five. We're skipping the list, by the way. The list of the 12 disciples is verse two, verse three, verse four. It's a good list, but uh, we'll skip it. Look down at verse five. Jesus, what did he do? Say it out loud. Sent out. Go back up to chapter 9, verse 38. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to, out loud, send out. Okay. Did you see that? Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. I'm assuming they prayed. Whenever Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. I'm assuming they prayed. Then, not five verses later, who are the ones doing exactly what they prayed for? The disciples. 
The disciples prayed for the Lord to send out uh, workers in the harvest, and then they become the answer to their own prayers. How many times do we pray for things to happen, and we just say, I'm just going to let go and let God? It is very difficult to pray on earth as it is in heaven and not become the answer to our own prayers in some way or another. What Jesus wants is that he wants his pattern to become our pattern so that Jesus' pattern becomes our pattern. So that our pattern is what? It's proximity. Our pattern is what? It's proximity and then seeing and then compassion and then prayer. Do you ever ask yourself sometimes like, I just wish I would have more like of a heart towards the lost or I wish I would have more of a heart towards broken people or I wish I would pray more? Odds are it's because we're starting at the bottom of this pattern, not the top. Proximity. Are you in close proximity? Disciple of Jesus, by the way. I'm only talking to disciples who claim to follow Jesus. Are you in close proximity with those in need? Actually. Because the temptation is to, to surround ourselves with people who look like us, think like us, act like us, dress like us, vote like us, and have the same income as us. But that is not the way of Jesus. Period. Though he had everything, he became nothing. Are we in close proximity with those who are in need. And then, when you actually leave your comfort zone and surround yourself with people who are in need, then we start to see them. We start to see them for who they are. Oh, this isn't an other, this isn't a number, this is a person made in the image of Jesus who, who is or was broken just like I am broken, who is distressed and de- dejected just like I was before Jesus came into my life, completely radically transformed it, and now I'm, now I'm following him, and I'm not doing it perfectly, but, but I see them for who they are, made in the image of Jesus. It's really hard when you actually see somebody and know them not to have compassion on them. It's a lot easier to get frustrated and go right back into our comfort zones with our own people. After proximity, after seeing, when you actually see people, we end up having, it's almost, it's almost like we can't help it. We have compassion. We have compassion. When you see somebody in their brokenness, when you actually see them in their brokenness, it's a lot harder to blame them for their own situation. Because why? You feel for them. Your heart goes out for them, just like Jesus has done with us and maybe other people have done with us. And then the, the response is what? Prayer. Prayer. Do you pray in Ankeny as it is in heaven? Do you pray for God's kingdom, God's presence to be brought down? Do you grab at heaven and, and demand it to be brought down in our midst to heal that broken relationship, to heal that disease and that sickness? It said, faith is the mother of prayer and prayer is the mother of mission. And mission, guys, here's what's difficult about the word mission because mission is often motivated by guilt or obligation. And you can always tell when a a mission is motivated by guilt or obligation based on how they talk about it. If you hear a sermon about mission or or living uh, like on mission, it's it's always like, you need to go do this, you need to go do that. You know, all these people are out there and they don't know anything about Jesus. And that's true and that's a good thing to do, but I just never see Jesus using fear as a motivation or obligation. I never see any of the New Testament saying, well, you ought to, you ought to, you ought to. You know what it is? It's empowerment. Jesus gave them authority and he said, go do this. Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Paul says that the same spirit who raised a dead person now lives in you. I can't think of a better motivator 
for living on mission for the renewal of the city. If I want to see heaven come down, if I want to see the power and the miracles of God here now, if I want to see the lost get saved, if I want to see people get transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, I'm praying. And I'm saying, Lord, you've promised it. And I'm motivated to, I'm empowered to do it because the spirit of God lives in us. When we're close to the presence of God, we see God, we see Jesus. When we're formed into his image, we will, we will live on mission for the renewal of our city. So much so that when people bump into us, they can't help but experience the fruit of the spirit. They can't help but experience the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus's pattern? I'm going to those, towards those in need. I see them for who they are, not for who they're trying to be. I feel compassion for them and I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray that what Jesus promises to do will be done. Is that your pattern? Is that your pattern? Maybe for some of you, you're still, you're still before the part where you need to step in and do it yourself. You're still at the part where you have not experienced Jesus looking at you in compassion. You haven't experienced the freedom that comes from that. Because guys, there is absolute freedom that comes when you recognize God's love for you. And if that's you, then, then ignore the last 10 minutes of my sermon. Because if that's you, your response is exactly what it says in all the scriptures is repent and believe. We are in darkness, we are blinded by our sin, by the, the prince of the powers of the air. We are blinded by everything that gets in the way of Jesus. And when Jesus reveals himself to us, oh my gosh, guys, the freedom. Oh, the freedom that comes when you see Jesus looking at you in love, in compassion, in kindness, in mercy. If you're in that first category where you just, you haven't even experienced that, then that is your, that is your invitation today. Repent and believe because it's not, it's not just repent. Like Jesus isn't waiting to beat you over the head to correct you when you're wrong. Jesus is inviting you to live life and life to the full, to remove the power of sin and death in our lives so that we can live as we were created to be in perfect relationship with God and with others. But if you have experienced that, if you have experienced that before and you know that Jesus looks at you in compassion, but you need a reminder, then the call, the invitation for you today is repent and believe. It's the exact same. Because how quickly do we forget, guys? I mean, how quickly do I forget? It's like I get so passionate and excited and then like a couple things happen and it's like, oh, there goes the whole day. And I'm back in my own sin and, and my own impatience and my own lack of vulnerability. So the, the response is repent and believe. Jesus is still looking at you with compassion and love. And for all of us, for all of us, if we want to follow Jesus, it is a lot more than just intellectually thinking about Jesus. It's following this pattern. In what ways do we need to get in close proximity with those who are in need? Because we so easily surround ourselves with everybody that we think like, look like, talk like, act like, vote like, everything. In what ways do we need to get outside, get in proximity with those who are in need. See them for who they are, not as a project. Jesus doesn't look at you as a project. You're not a project to Jesus. You're a person. Do we have that same vision that Jesus has? Do we have that same heart of compassion that Jesus has? And then finally, are we praying? Are we like Ray and Melanie who sees these four kids in, 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 that were just scattered and put into four different homes? They lost their mom and they lost each other in a day. It's hard to to, to, to be in proximity to that, to see that, to have compassion for that, and not to pray for it. 
And then as Jesus always does, we end up becoming, we can become, we can become the answer to our own prayers. So what I want to do now is I want to pray and I just want to leave us some time to reflect on this. Where are you when it comes to following Jesus? Do you need to repent and believe for the first time and just experience the love and the compassion that Jesus has for you? Or have you already experienced it but you forgot it and you need to repent and believe and you need to remind yourself of the love and compassion that Jesus has for you? And then for all of us, in what ways, in what ways can we actually follow Jesus? Seeking his presence, being formed into his image and living on mission for the renewal of the city, not out of obligation, but out of love, out of empowerment. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Ink and Gospel. Thank you.